Hey everybody, time for another Shop Talk show. It's episode number 253, just Dave and I doing a rapid fire show where we answer as many questions as we can. We're going to stumble our way through some tricky ones about, there's some ethics stuff in here, like what if your boss tells you to do something slightly unethical, politically weird on a website? How do you deal with that? We're going to talk about at supports a bunch, a CSS feature that's kind of cool, but is it underused, overused? What's the deal with that? I'm going to talk about uh, data URLs a little bit and like what if the whole world was a data URL? That and a bunch of more questions coming up. Uh, CodePen sponsoring and Rollbar. Rollbar.com is sponsoring catch code errors before your users. It's error tracking for your website. Kind of a mandatory thing for web apps and they do a great job with that. But for now, we'll tell you more about both those things later in the show. Let's kick things off, Dave. Hey there, Shopping Maniacs. You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris Quiet. That's right, Dave, and as you put it, a potpourri episode, otherwise known as a laser super rapid fire episode where we get to as many possible questions as we can from all y'all out there that keep sending them in, and we really appreciate that because that's the uh, that's the heart of Shop Talk Show is answering your questions. Mm, yeah. Well, and so experts Chris, that we are on all things, <laughs> we are uh, expert certified uh, web development experts, I believe, uh, from the CSS Tricks certification school. So uh, we are professionals. Um, speaking of professionals, Chris, I don't know if you saw my tweet the other day, but uh, I I ran into a bit of a a thing. Oh, <laughs> a little, uh, no. uh, let me let me mouth describe mouth code you a little bit. I want this it. Is okay. Hit it. Okay. I have thing, mm. and under the thing, That's the class is, name. Uh, yeah, it's whatever. It yeah. can be anything, but it, let's say it's uh, a thing. I'll call it a thing. Thing inside the thing is a thing inner because the thing actually does like yeah. it's the whole yeah. thing, but it has some positioning and things that it needs thing inner is kind of the wrapper container thing yep okay and then inside the the thing uh i i had thing header because i was doing a thing header but the client was like oh we need this to like stick to the top of course you know so it's like oh okay well so i need to wrap the header into a sticky thing because i do need it so i have so it goes thing thing inner thing header wrapper thing header and then I was in a bit of a jam, and I needed some like vertical positioning, so I did uh, heading div inside of that. And inside the heading, there's a h tag for a title. Uh, but then the title's got some words and like a price inside of it. So inside in there, there, I have words. So it, it goes thing thing uh, thing thing inner thing header wrapper thing <laughs> header heading title words. And I think it's the best job i've ever done chris i'm that's just just to exemplify our qualification that's the much. html structure and and uh and uh, if you bemmed it though you'd still the, at least the selectors would still be at the at the at the outside yeah i think i'm headed into a major refactor of it <laughs> but but it's so weird you you have the best system set up in your brain you're like oh this is glorious and then you're like oh, i just need like one little hack div to like position a thing and then you're like and then you're like okay cool it works great show it to the client and then they're like oh could i do one more thing with this and you're like yeah yeah i can do that and then you're like oh man i need like one more little rapper, and then you end up where I'm at, and it's just not the. Greatest. I, I, I am definitely over the idea that a rapper div is like the end of the world. There definitely was like a period of of web attack history in which that divs were to be like like just arbitrary rapper divs were to be avoided I at all costs. Layout. What is this yeah. table layout? <laughs> We've gosh. We feel like we've treaded that ground before, but but it does happen to me regularly. The inner thing, you know, it's been biting me regularly. Is if you have like a module or whatever, a thing, 
and you want padding on the thing, but not like most of the stuff in there gets padding, but not like maybe like an image at the top touches the edges of the thing, or there's a bar inside the thing that touches oh, the edges God, of the you're thing. Describing my life, this is exactly the situation. Well, which is yes. tough because then it's like, okay, do you see? Hmm. Do you do inner on everything except for the bar? Which is tempting because fighting the padding inside of it is a little tricky sometimes. Because if it's just that, if it's like one rem of padding, fine. Then maybe the bar can have a margin left of negative one rem, and now you fought the padding and the bar is touching the outside. Fine. But it's like, I don't know if I'm doing something wrong or whatever, but I feel like you used to be able to go margin right negative one rem two, and it would like stretch it out. But that doesn't, I, so now it's kind of like calc uh, 100% plus two rem is the way to to get the bar to stretch because then, you know, then it, yeah, because now it's whatever. It, it takes into account both the padding on both sides, but that can be tricky because now like the inside of the bar is like wider than you want it to be. So like text can stretch a little further out. Then you got to compensate that with padding over there. And it's like, becomes this whole thing. And you're like, why didn't I just use an inner div? Inner div feels good. Yeah. It's like an arms race. It it really it's just like like when you want to do that blog post with the full width image and then every paragraph or title inside is padded. Like you write all this code and then you get to a breakpoint where you're like, oh, it doesn't need to go full width anymore. And it's like you have to just like do all these hacks to like undo all the padding. Then it's so tempting at first to be like, I don't want to call it thing inner really. Because just want article. Or, yeah, sure. Or like, yeah. I don't, I don't want to name anything. And like, I know that this div is just always going to accompany the thing inner. So I'll just be like, every time I do a thing, there'll be all, there'll be another div inside of it. And then my selector is just thing direct descendant div. But then you're like, mm-hmm. that'll bite you for sure too. Because sometimes, yeah. Well, and it's like, if you want to do anything clever or art directed, this isn't like another separate problem running into, but if you want to do it like art directed, you know, custom-y things, then you need, you need these inner divs to kind of position things, you know, like, like you want the video to go full width and then you want the article to be, you know, max width and then you want, uh, and so like you need like sections and that starts affecting how your data model shows up. Cause now you're like chunking things in the database. So, uh, it gets it gets, I don't know. I wish there was a, I wish there was a break out of container property or <laughs> just like full mother effing width. Oh, <laughs> in CS. <laughs> Careful what you ask for, you know? Oh yeah. I had a, an opportunity to, or whatever. I was just building something for in bootstrap kind of for my first time, maybe like I, I think I've like picked and chose little things before, but for whatever reason, I was like going to do a layout and just use bootstrap and try to not write any CSS at all, which is, which is, which is kind of tricky, which is also kind of like the the tachyons thing a little bit too. I guess I didn't totally understand that before, but have you seen that? It's kind of like, here's a whole bunch of CSS classes. The idea being that you, you don't write any of your own. You just pepper in classes all over the place that are already exist in this library, which is weird, but it ends up being kind of a fun mental exercise to be like, can I do this with just HTML and classes? And I think that's how a lot of people approach Bootstrap as well. Like, I'm not going to write nothing. I'm going to use their prescribed HTML for the most part. And if I have to wrap, do a wrapper div, that's why I thought of it. You do a wrapper div, and then it it, apl- it gives you some spacing classes and some stuff like that, some container classes. So if you need to like get a little fancy with your HTML, you can. But try to write no CSS. It's kind of fun. Yeah, it's kind of fun. I. Tachyons has that kind of atomic-y CSS feel to it. Um, there was a, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, you know, um, <laughs> you know, there's, you you can either like code your own CSS and then try to abstract a style guide out of it, right? Like a pattern library out of it. And that's really hard because you have all these different permutations inside the lib- inside the the site or you could just start with bootstrap <laughs> and then you already have all the patterns pretty well defined and i was just like ah man why do we hate bootstrap so much everyone i mean i went to a conference last year i think and you know it's like almost every talk got up there to kind of like take a jab at bootstrap being boring or something i'm just like ah but it like 
it's kind of solves a lot of problems. I don't know. I'm just, uh, it's, I know we've talked about I this know ad nauseum on this show. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. But I just was, it was just like a new like bit. It was just like, when you start with a framework or a pattern library existing, you're, you're like way ahead. You have consistency from the start and you're just kind of modifying. But like when you hand code something, you kind of just have, a bunch of guesses that are going to land and be consistent. You don't exactly have consistency from the start. So it's just, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I, I just, there's a lot of haterade about bootstrap, but I just was like, you know, if you start with it, you can, you, you might be able to get pretty good consistency, you know, which is always good for user experience. So. Yeah. You know, one of the um, ironies I found about it is the, like the, the, the refrain is like, ugh, another bootstrap site. This site's gonna look like every other site in the world. And I've never felt that. I don't I don't I do plenty of web browsing and it's it's not all that common I land in a site that's just as like ugh bootstrap. Like I, I find it more common. And I'm just I'm just this is totally anecdotal, so it's whatever. But I find it more common to be like you know, oh, there's a Jekyll site, or oh, there's a default WordPress site kind of thing. I find that more, I see that more than I see whatever. Somebody just slapped Bootstrap on this thing. Or I see it's always like, oh, there's, you know, a big full width wallpaper, you know, with somebody holding the phone looking at a, at oh, a right. lady on a couch. There's a hero. And then there's gonna... three little features underneath. It's always that. No matter like how different you try to make it, it's always that. But I'm not saying that's bad. I, I think it could be, you know, just like every mall in America is kind of similar. <laughs> it's like it's So you don't get lost and you can go buy the things you want to buy. But um I don't Design know. pattern mall or a, a for, mall affordances. Dave's next. Night. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Why would you? Why would you? You know, unless you had to, or you, the value was there, like it was very much worth it. Why would you be so super different? So uh, we promised you we would get to your questions, and then we didn't do. We that. did. Yeah. Well, th- this is a great show, everybody. Thank you. So <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. John McLaren uh, writes in, now that CSS Grid and Flexbox are starting to be supported in browsers, I'm always trying to use them when possible. Being uh, While still being backwards compatible, uh, I'm looking at you, Internet Exploder. Uh, I used to use Modernizer almost obsessively, uh, but now I'm using at supports. My question is, is it safe to rely on at supports alone yet for CSS-related media, or queries, CSS-related queries, or should we keep using Modernizer for the next few years until more browsers actually support at supports? Also, what's stopping a browser from lying and claiming it supports something that it doesn't? I'm watching you, Edge. Uh, thanks, longtime listener, first time asker. So, this is kind of just about at supports. Maybe we should explain what this is in case people don't know. Uh, sure, could probably do that. So, you know, if you write a media query, you write at like the symbol at media and then some parentheses and then you type in something like minwix or max min width max width max height something 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 to determine media things and there's lots of things there's color related media queries but that's the syntax of it is at media some parentheses and then some curly brackets to say when that media query matches do some stuff in CSS. And there's a couple of other at things in CSS that all have that syntax. At supports is one of them too. And it's kind of a Boolean thing. Like there's some parentheses after at supports. And if that is true, the browser knows what at supports is. And we should say that if the browser doesn't know what at supports is, like some ancient browser that doesn't support this feature, it's the whole block is ignored. So you can leverage that ability as well. But if the browser does know what it is, and what's in the parentheses happens to be true, like you say, at supports display flex, you put a property and a value, and it doesn't actually do anything. The browser's just testing, do I know what that property is? Do I know what the value of that property is? And do I know what them together is? You know, if all that's like return true, uh, then what's in at supports becomes valid CSS on the page. So you could say, let's say I want to have a, a page layout that uses uh, display flex or, or Dave's dot thing example. And Dave's dot thing is display flex and he wants to use Flexbox to lay that out. He'd say at supports display flex and then wrap dot thing is display flex. And mm-hmm. the beauty of that being that if the browser doesn't understand 
than Flexbox. It becomes a little like cleaner to write your code in such a way. You might you might write um, right above that dot thing, uh, and then something inside it like an image is float left, uh, and then right and you know and then be- mm-hmm. below that like at supports display flex the image like maybe remove that just don't float none on it. Because uh, you, you're not, you don't need to float it anymore because you got Flexbox going on. So, you know, do you write the fallback code above it or below it? And there's reasons to do both of those things. But the idea is that you can kind of write your own fallback code without needing something like, as John, you mentioned, Modernizer to do the test for you and apply a class. And then you're writing the same kind of CSS, but with a class. Like, you know, Modernizer does, what do they do? Like dot Flexbox or dot no flexbox or what yeah yeah it's it's yeah i think so i think people i think most people are moving away from modernizer just in the sense that it takes it's a it's a blocking script in the head of your page and you have to kind of it runs a bunch of tests you can also obviously like uh maybe not obviously but you can like pull out little feature tests like one or two and just test the features that you're testing to use but um, I actually found uh, at supports to be very helpful. I'm actually using it <clears throat> on that thing, thing, header, thing, 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 header, thing, uh, project for position sticky because, you know, it was like, I want to go, you know, scroll and stick this little like article header thing. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I can do that, but not every browser supports that. And then they want to kind of modify it, you know, like, like uh you know shrink the text when it's stuck kind of kind of be cool like that and um and I was like oh okay well when I scroll I can do the position sticky but I need to use javascript to like trigger class to say like it's stuck right so I triggered the class to you know I set that up you know if the thing's offset top is greater than the document scroll or something stick it you know yep. and uh and or doc window scroll top anyway so i stuck it and then but even on browsers that didn't have position sticky all of a sudden that little dude (laughs) started shrinking and i just was like oh okay so i need to test if it like if it has position sticky and then and then in the position sticky supports query i'm doing all my is stuck you know changey rules like like even position sticky or, you know, I, I'm like modifying all the, the sticky rules inside, um, that, that on scroll. And it was, it, it worked out really, really well. I've got like a little, you know, iOS, like shrink downy feel to it. So it's, it's, you know, going pretty good, but I, I had to use like a little will change and all that stuff to kind of prepare the browser for that. But, um, yeah, I I don't know. I I'm kind of a fan of how supports is working out. I think I used it a couple times on this site. So there should um, be. I feel like it's ripe for a a really good blog post or some kind of mini site or repo or something of like at supports recipes. So I feel like it gets talked about more than you see best practices with it happening. Mm-hmm. Like it's not every day that I reach for it, and I suspect for myself it's kind of a muscle memory problem. But I can't. I can't just like off the top of my head think of really great simple recipes for supports. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, Grid and Flexbox. That's kind of where John started the question. I think those are places you might want to use uh, supports. I don't use supports for my Flexboxing, um, which is maybe bad. But I just Flexbox is uh, just so pretty well supported now, and it you know, if it fails, it doesn't, it doesn't super fail. It just looks cr- crowded is kind of my point of view. Um, or things wrap weird. Um, What's an if else in supports? Like, does it, it doesn't really have that, right? Cause you can't, what you need to do is write all the, write all the code, assuming that it doesn't exist and then write at supports and then know that you have to undo everything you did inside there, which that feels right. kind of like a bummer. But I guess that's what it is. There's like a not supports, um, but now you're targeting like a really, you know, basically Edge and I or Edge and Safari at that point because like all the other browsers are ever. Oh, so it supports so gonna... supports, but it, it doesn't support what you're asking it to check for. So that's yeah. tricky too because you need to know that the browser supports supports. 
Yeah, yeah. You need to know the browser supports the force. So you have to code the dumb version, which, you know, that could be like max width 40M margin zero auto. That could be like the dumb, just a two book nice content. though. At least you don't have to undo everything you did. Because there are browsers like Edge or whatever that have some old version of grid or not grid at all that that you that way you could write not supports grid and, and write it in there and then and then supports grid or I guess yeah you'd you'd write the inverse of that query as well where you put all your grid code right at least you're not mm-hmm. fighting each other then that's that's the worst for me is when you every every property you add you're like well is this the dumb version or the smart version do I have to go undo it in the smart version now yeah Ugh. yeah uh but no, it's it's tough. It, I think um, all of these things to me is like the the ever growing state machine of CSS. You know, like like responsive web design added all this state. You know, to our app, it's not just a, a fixed width state. It's like fluid. It could be any device. It could be you know a phone, a tablet, a desktop, and then like you know, now we're like testing on features. So it's like, now you have to code the feature enabled state and the feature disabled state. And so, and then you have to kind of even plan for the, the test for testing, whether the feature is exists, you know, you have to test if the test exists. And so you're just like, it's like a lot of action, but, um, that said, I'm enjoying supports. I'm starting to use it more and more, um, mostly on these kind of like, weird can we call them like battlefield properties just things that are like like are like great but no one's using you know or or no one's like no one's implementing for some reason or it's just not high on the totem pole so um i don't know like likes position sticky or you know grid will probably be a good one because you're probably a good solid year worth of like somebody shipped a bad grid or you know some yeah. something's just not right. I guess we should note that it is it's awesome that it exists because it's going to get more and more and more and more useful over the years as supports becomes like an obvious of course all browsers support that but then new right. new stuff ships and now we'll for sure be able to count on supports cuz that'll be cool. Yeah, but you can't really do like um <clears throat> You can't do like hardware API. It, this is only style rules, you know, like, like, I don't know, with modernizer or something, you could be like at supports, uh, geolocation or something. Um, but yeah, but now you like that, you don't get that sort of stuff in, uh, whatchamacallit in at supports, the CSS properties or CSS query, I guess. So Ooh. John also said, "What's the stop a browser from lying and claiming it supports something when it doesn't?" I mean, that's just I think nothing, I guess, other than it's in their best interest to not do that because you'll you'll be coding around it. So I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about that so much. I want to say I want to say Firefox at already violated this um, this. Sin, they already committed this, um, and and a it was like a false positive uh, feature test, and I, I can't remember. Um, let me oh, go to name uh, and shame with no data. I know. I'm just gonna totally uh, whatever fake news hashtag fake news. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, no, uh, I but I I want to I like. I'm saying with like 98% confidence that this has happened and it just wasn't a huge, huge deal. Like it, it was like a bugzilla or something and it was like, Oh shoot, we'll fix it. So I, I don't think it was like a huge epic compat fail. Um, okay. So we can get a little heady on this next one. I really, you know, Melanie is a longtime listener of the show and often, has something to say about every one of our shows. Thanks for listening. Melanie, this is a great question, I think, that uh, has to do with, I don't know, it's it's probably impossible to answer, but also always worth talking about. So Melanie writes in, thought, colon, who took the judicial branch of the government off the menu for the White House website? If it wasn't done by a developer, it brings to light some thoughts about 
or even if it wasn't done by a developer, it brings to light some thoughts about ethics and tech, doesn't it? I'm concerned about the level of responsibility we seem to be willing to push off to someone else under the guise of, well, it's technically possible and they told me to do it. Uh, so it's just, I, I think about that sometimes too, right? Like the, and it's not, this isn't new to the world of tech in any way. It's like if you, you're, you, a website represents all kinds of information and whatnot. If you disagree with some order that you're given, essentially, it's kind of, it's a little bit like, you know, given a, given a soldier an order that they don't agree with, you know, soldiers are bound, you know, by, I don't know, what do you call them? What are the military version of laws? You know, they they have to do it. Yeah. Following yeah, orders. Like- yeah, it's chain of command. We're not like, following. It's not orders. your call. We're civilians out here, you know. Yeah, uh, but what I guess you know what is it like? If uh, maybe let's take it out of the hot button uh, political arena. But what if what if your boss asks you to implement like a known UX dark pattern? There you go. You just, do you just do and it? A level above I mean, that is like your boss is like, oh, we just landed a sweet new client. It's Marlboro. You know, or whatever. As I, I feel like Mike Montero's talked a lot about, like you know, one one youthful indiscretion of of taking on a, a client like that is like, yeah. But you know, now if you if if you're working for a company that has got has built five cigarette websites now, yeah, not just like cigarette websites for kids. The cigarettes like, are unethical necessarily, <laughs> but you can have your own unethical. ethics. Yeah, for kids, right? Yeah, yeah. Like they're called like pocket sticks yeah and they they are cool man right or it's like i don't know what what's the don't get your shots as a baby thing you know that's a hot button one i guess i keep reaching for things that are more political instead of less but <laughs> chris back out no um so there's a really good episode of Bizcraft with uh uh gene crawford and carl the jellyfish king smith um it's let's see bizcraft i think it's 51 i i like cite it that much um but yes <laughs> 51 how society and ethics can affect your uh business and they do a really good uh like honest chat from two like business owners about like like how to make like what what's your ethical call and gene uh I think he he runs like a small shop and it's great but it they they he was like you know we have uh political clients we ended up with like a political client base with people we super don't agree with like like we just don't but they they're paying us money you know and so like it, he was just like it's weird but now what but if you worked you know, for you- Carl and we're forced to do something like is that that's even extra weird cuz now, all of a sudden, this was just thrust upon you. At least Carl got to make the choice up front. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's, I think it's just sort of like, like, I think it had to be, I think what they do is they're kind of like, is in every, is everyone cool with this sort of thing? Um, and that's more the management style. And hope that there isn't uh, some things. inherent pressure to say. Right. I mean, another thing you could think about is like, like a porn website or something. Like, there's, there's nothing like, you know, intrinsically wrong with doing that. And you could probably make good money doing that. Uh, but you, you sort of like you, maybe not everyone on your team is super cool with like making a a porn website. So what, what do you do? Um, what's the, like, um, I, I mean, we got a call once for a guy, this is just the best. He was like, yeah, uh, I, I do, I sell supplements, workout supplements. <laughs> and we were like, what, what kind of supplements, you know, like protein powders? Oh, supplements. And we were like, do you, do you mean like, like steroids? And he just goes, there's supplements. <laughs> and so yeah. it, it was just like, okay, I think this is a steroids website. So I think we're not going to do this one. <laughs> like it would, it would be cool to do like a, you know, bodybuilding kind of website, but you know, like. Where I don't think we want to work with the steroids guy. So it was just, it was an interesting, you know, like I, we had to kind of make a call, like, let's not do it. But back to like deleting the uh, judicial branch from the White House website. I don't know. That seems like either a really intentional deal, like <laughs> that Congress should be involved in, or a, uh, 
like or or just somebody not thinking in under a rush deadline or something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why I want to be, you know, forgiving. Well, I, you know, person, I was up. I don't know. I even ran like an informal Twitter poll as the as the administration was changes that that kind of asked people, are you like more or less excited to work uh would be to 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 work for the government? Like in the in a tech role, you know, like let's go help the government make websites kind of thing. And I and mm-hmm. I wonder, you know, and the results were a little mixed. It was it was a little bit skewed towards less excited, but it wasn't overwhelming or anything because i i think whichever side you are on this thing it can be like yeah i want to go work for those guys now that's 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 more ideal than it was before because i'm politically aligned with them or i'm politically not aligned with them which makes me worry that i don't know bad things are going to happen let me go be a protectorate of what i think is right over there you know and I, I don't know. So, but you know, but orders come on from high. Then sometimes, you know, like we're gonna. I don't know. You see all this work you did on healthcare.gov or whatever. Rip it down. Now that's your job as a web developer works for the government. Maybe you were there helping to build it, and now your job is to become helping tear it down. That. Would- what if? What if all of a sudden your job is to make it the website worse, so it's harder for people to get. That would healthcare. be so weird. That would be a that would straight be up such conspiracy a, theory. That's a reply all episode. <laughs> you know what happens? <laughs> that's these are huge things, right? That trigger, all that. but there's little, little right. tiny stuff too. Here's one that's um, that happened to me just like two weeks ago that I initiated. Right. So here's one that uh, and, you know that has possible ethical questions attached to it. We um, realized for the years and years and years we were running CodePen, we don't really ask people when they leave why they left. You know, mm-hmm. we make it just as easy to to pretty much just as easy to cancel as it is to sign up, right? You go into your accounts and you mm-hmm. click cancel account and you can do that because why should we make that any harder? That's so rude when companies Make it hard, like oh, you know, you got to call this one eight hundred number to quit. You know that I I know what I know what that feels like now. That that, make, that would make it so our churn numbers would go way down if I forced you to call me on the phone to cancel Code Pen. And churn is a huge deal. We'd make way more money if we did that. We'd also be awful people. Okay, mm-hmm. assume that I that's whatever my opinion. What we decided though is like it really would like it's not that big of a deal to just ask, right? Can I just ask you why you are leaving CodePen? Can I just put a form there that says like, hey, I'm not trying to stand in your way of quitting very much here, but like, can you check a checkbox that says I left because it's too expensive, or I left because whatever, I'm done using it for now. I left because it doesn't do the thing I want to do. Yeah, insight. And it's stupid not to get that insight because it's such easy, it's it's just such an easy ask, you know? But the so the way I had somebody else implement it, because whatever, that's delegation, Dave. It's great. Love it. I I would love to explain. The way that it was implemented is that the cancel button is disabled. Until you select, just select a thing. I'm not going to ask you to type at least 172 characters or something that explains to me why you're quitting. But you do have to select a one radio button. Okay. Okay. That's a little bit. Of, all of a sudden, we're standing in the way of someone quitting. It's one more click to quit. I, we forced mm-hmm. it. There's no way to leave CodePen unless you click one of these radio buttons. So and I and I I didn't you know I I think I did actually ask everyone if how they kind of felt about it uh, and didn't get too much resentment but but I could see them them being like nah I mean whatever my boss told me to do this so I have to do it you know yeah what yeah that's a that's a good I mean because it, it's the 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 right answer you know now we're in like moral territory is just let people quit with full freedom and confidence and whatever but you know they're using your service they you know you need feedback so you can grow your business or or fix things and so it's kind of like all you're asking is for a radio click but is that too much you know uh, that's in- that's an interesting conundrum. It is. I don't you think you could have made it a little harder. We could have had you make you type some characters. Oh. We could have made a little wizard that you have to go through to quit. You know, there's definitely limits of where this would have gone too far. It would have been so obnoxious, kind of thing that it would it would cross me. I I mean, I ultimately made the call that clicking a radio button isn't 
isn't too much to ask for some pretty good business intelligence. But you can. What if your company was a really right at the edge of failure? You know, and and it, and it was just so obvious that just redu- reducing churn like five ten percent or whatever, like that's huge, you know. But 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 reducing but we churn, need, we need ten credit cards on file, or else we have to shut it down. Yeah, that and it's just so easy, much easier to stop people from quitting than it is to find new customers. You know, that becomes like reality at some point. Mm-hmm. That you no. can see the pressure. That's, I mean. The New York Times does this. Like, like it's hard to quit the New York yeah. Times. I don't mean to shoot us in the foot, but I've heard Stamps.com, which sponsors Sony's podcast, is awful to quit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like you have to call somebody on the phone, and then they're like, you know, hey, but, 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 but man, what if, what if I told you yeah. I could get you 100 issues for six dollars right and you just, and it, it, oh, it's, and it, like, make, it forces you to be a dick because the more of a jerk you are the be- the, the more they want to just get rid of you and it works i i had a thing um we do transcriptions here on the podcast and i you know uh so this would i don't know where we're turning this podcast we're like two questions in but um but uh, i was uh i i we do transcriptions we use fam transcription who's really great sent my kid like like uh chinese new year cards i love it yeah. um i got i got uh, scratch offs Thanks, oh, Tina. Lucky, lucky. Uh, so, love our transcriber. Uh, we don't transcribe every episode. You know, maybe that's a again, and we're doing it wrong. But um, uh, you know, I, the show a, more, trans- people. a transcription service has been calling me like every day at like seven o'clock in the evening, like like to get business. You know, because when we were pricing things out, we kind of hunted around, and and so I just it, it's like. And I finally had to just be like, can you quit calling me? Like, take me off your call list. And they're like, uh, we don't have like a call list. And I was like, well, like your CRM or whatever, whatever's making my name show up. Can you please take me off of it? And they're just like, uh, well, I can't do that, but I can make a note on your file. And I'm just like, wow, <laughs> like, where are we at? If I can't just tell a company, like, quit calling me, you know, they're like, there well, is laws. Isn't there actual laws? I think there's actual laws, but you know, it's also like, I think they're just like, they are just like a CRM user. They're not like a, a, uh, call list user. Does that make sense? Like, like when you work in a call center, you get like a, you know, like a, uh, 400 page block of phone numbers to call through. You know, I actually did that in high school (laughs) as like a job for like one day. And then, uh, like, uh, but like when you're, you know, work at a company, you're just like cruising through your CRM, you know, and, uh, but I don't know. I just was, it's, it was anyway, I'm ranting, but anyway, eth- ethical or unethical. I, I recommend that BizCraft episode. It's, it's really good. They kind of go in depth on that, um, topic. And, uh, I don't know that we have answers other than if it super, super bothers you a lot, you gotta quit. You gotta like. And and that's not easy to do because it's not necess- you don't necessarily have job mobility, but maybe for your mental health, you got to like bail out. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Rollbar. That's rollbar.com slash shop talk show. That's the URL you want to go to to get three months of their bootstrap plan for free. Rollbar is all about error tracking. It does an amazing job of that. So you, you know, it's really easy to integrate too, and it integrates into any application, you know, JavaScript, which is Ember, Angular, Backbone, Node.js, or your Ruby stack with Rails, .NET, PHP, even Flash, iOS, anything. They've got it all covered. You put it in there and it starts capturing the errors that your app throws, which it's definitely throwing some, believe me. Uh, and lets you know about them. So not only so you need to know what these errors are in order to fix them, gives you the stack trace and all that, it groups them intelligently too. So if your app is like throwing like thousands of this one kind of error, but it's kind of minor, it's good to know. It's not. It's it's good to not get an email about the, every single time that error happens thousands of times. That's annoying. You know you need to fix it, but maybe it's lower priority than some other kind of bug and allows you to prioritize and that type of thing. It integrates with like Slack and... 
Jira tickets and all that type of stuff too. So you kind of get to decide like, okay, put this type of error here or whatever. It allows you to, you know, gives you the information you need to fix the errors that are happening in your app and prioritize them and know about them and but not be too annoyed by them and stuff like that. Just a couple of lines of code to integrate into your app, whatever that app is. Oh, it's kind of amazing software. Thank you, Rollbar. Again, the URL is rollbar.com slash show. $87 value to sign up for their bootstrap plan for free. Are you ready? Here we go. We got uh, Allison J. Ridson, uh just starting out and hoping to switch fields uh, to something I've always been interested in, uh, beginning with learning the new features of HTML5 and uh, general web development through several online channels but mainly uh edx.org and freecodecamp.com and of course your show thanks for listening still super new but curious eager to learn and hopefully uh, to get a job so i can get paid to do this i just learned the basics of how to create and use data urls to display images and uh, the material did mention that this practice is becoming more popular because it speeds up load times by reducing http requests and is especially useful in mobile applications. But uh, that being said, why would we still use the old way of displaying images? Uh, are there specific times uh, we wouldn't want to use the data URL instead, or any cons to take into account I haven't learned yet? Thanks. Very, well, very thanks. good and interesting question, I think. Yeah, um, I, uh, well, thanks for writing in. Uh, in but I actually think you might have some bad information um, because data URLs, uh, that's that's when you like base encode, base 64 encode a image. Like, so it doesn't even have JPEG. to be base 64, but some kind of encoded okay. version of itself. Encoded version of this image. So it doesn't, it doesn't, it ships down with your HTML. It's like a string inside the or in your equals. JavaScript or in your CSS. You can use it anywhere yeah. you could use an image. But yeah, Dave's exactly right. It, it, it's just in there. Instead of source equals and then a URL, it's source equals the whole string of the image, the, the gobbledygook that makes that image. And it, it, it's so, I know this is confusing, but it could be anything. It could be an encoded version of a style sheet. It could be an encoded version. SVG. Yeah, totally. Like text SVG. Um, so I, but I think there's a little bit of bad information. Um, it does reduce HTTP requests. That is true. Uh, and there can be some benefit there, but uh, mobile browsers in particular, I think I've shown to be pretty bad at decoding this stuff. Um, and, and it kind of takes a long time and just kind of what I've been picking up from the web performance group in general is, uh, browsers are really good at prioritizing loading. Like you tell it, I want to load these things and they say, cool, we are good at loading. So like there, the ability to go fetch an image or a style sheet or a SVG is really good in browsers with HTTP two, which is kind of the new HTTP. Uh, it allows you to make kind of multiple requests a lot more efficiently. We've talked about that. I think a lot, a lot on the show, cause it's kind of a new thing, but so I think the kind of benefit that data URLs uh, had kind of this like, Oh, you simplify it. Just, you know, you send the icon dot gif inside your CSS. That's probably the most common usage. I think it's done. Um, I don't know, Chris, what's your thought? I, I use it for data URLs for fonts. Um, which may actually be an anti practice. Probably need to get, yeah, it's not, it's <laughs> Zach Leatherman not back on the show. That's super duper common you know you know i don't use it or see it on every website but here i mean here's the i think at a high level what it does is it it ties at the hip together whatever the resource is that has the data url in it and the data url so if you're if you're have an icon.gif in a style sheet now the, that gif and that style sheet are one and it mm-hmm. and it ties together their their cache for example so if anything needs to change in that icon you have to like invalidate the cache on the entire style sheet 
and you have to, and you know, if something changes in the style sheet, well, then you have to invalidate that cache and send it along, which sends along the GIF as well. You know, so it's it can be efficient because yes, it does reduce HTTP requests, which until HTTP two is a thing, and even with HTTP two, we're looking at those little tiny files. I guess is the word on the street that keeping those. Um, bundled is still a good idea in some situations. Yeah. So it's gonna, okay. it's tricky that 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 bundling small resources may still be a kind of a good idea forever. We'll we'll see. But yeah, it, you know, it, not just the cache entirely. Yeah, but but browser cache as well. Imagine that that you know that little X GIF or that FSVG that you've sent up to your website. It like never it hasn't changed in two years. It just sits in browser cache doing its thing. That can be so great for performance. You know, it's just. It's just sitting there, ready to be used. The HTTP request never fires at all. The CSS changes every week. Doesn't matter. We invalidate the cache, send the new CSS. But but that but that you know that thing that would have been a data URI isn't a data. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. always beneficial to smash. I mean, uh, take this to its logical extreme, and that inline absolutely one hundred percent of everything for your entire website. It's just one document that comes all the way down. I think we could all agree that that's too far, right? That anytime you changed any byte of code, absolutely one hundred percent of the package needs to be invalidated and come down. That's too far. So wh- how far is too far with bundling the rest of the stuff together and there is there's limits. Yeah, there's limits. I think I mean, I think like use it when you're comfortable. Um I I don't think I'd ever use it on like a big jpeg or something. I think I would only use these data URIs on like really small it does feel Gips good with like something. a little hand golfed SVG or whatever, where it's like seven bytes of SVG, and it's like uh, it feels good to not have to make an HTTP request for that kind of thing. Yeah, so that's that would be my other thing is like like I I went down this path just very quickly like you know let's say I had a modal because that's the best example and the modal has a close button it's an X you know. And it's like, well, I could like get a PNG, but I need the one X and the two X, and I'd want to base encode that. And then, okay, so I did that, and then the SVG, uh, you know. But then I was like, oh, but if I did SVG, just like coded in SVG, it would actually be smaller. It would be the smallest thing, the lightest weightest thing, and it would be kind of a reusable SVG pattern that I could reuse. So I think actually you'd want to kind of, I don't know, you want to find the smallest thing first. And then, like, see if you'd need a data URL from that. I wouldn't just assume you want a data data URL crunch everything. I think you'd want to kind of try to find the smallest thing first. Because, man, how, how, oh, what are we talking for a, for like a SVG close button? Like, under 100 bytes, right? Under 100 characters, at least. Say, I mean, I guess it depends, but yeah, a polygon X with just a couple of points in there, yeah, even with round yeah. corners and stuff should be fine. Well, I wonder if you did two rectangles, but yeah, so but I think Allison, you're just excited right now because, well, perhaps because you learned about it, it seems like a really cool thing to do. It reduces HTTP requests. Why don't I use the crap out of this thing? Maybe, maybe you need to do that for a minute, <laughs> just use the crap out of it and find out where it bites you, and then be like, oh, right. <laughs> Right, right. Well, and that's, I think, too, is like, like experiment or just do what you like, too. That's that's kind of the other thing. If you have a good data URA flow, just do it. Enjoy it. You know, so what is it? Uh, Grunticon uh, from Filament Group, they use a lot of data URA crunching um, of imagers. So check that out. That, I mean, they're doing probably a pretty good job with it. Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, Brad Brock writes in with, I think he says, one of the most privileged first world questions we're going to get on this show. (laughs) Uh, It it still can be a fun thing to discuss because it's about spending money. I recently started a new front-end dead job at a digital agency, and it has a BYOPC policy, bring your own computer, essentially. It was unexpected, but I have a one-year-old optioned out MacBook Pro. So no big deal. He's already got a great computer. So like perfect. You got it. Yeah. Mm. You don't need your your computer, your your business to to buy a computer. Honestly, that's how I've always rolled too. I know it doesn't work for everybody, but I was like, I don't like having multiple machines. So can I just use my own? 
Yeah, yeah. I I enjoy that too, but <laughs> I get shut down occasionally. <laughs> yeah, because security or weird VPNs or who knows. So I later found out that they they give their employees instead of you know bring your own computer, but we give you money. They give you a two thousand dollar allowance every two years to help offset the cost of providing your own hardware. Uh, if I don't use it, I lose it. So two thousand dollars sitting there already has a computer okay. for computer stuff. Okay, which brings me to what I hope is the most privileged first world problem ever discussed on your show. I'm sure that's not the case, as two people that exist in that world. I honestly can't think of anything to spend this money on. What? It seems like anything remotely tech related that will help me do my job better is fair game. So he can spend it on whatever as long as it's do job better. There was a time when I would have used that money to surround myself with monitors, but I don't like that these days. I'll, he's thinking maybe I'll buy a 4K monitor, but don't plan on breaking the bank with that. I'll probably buy a few peripherals and stuff, but whatever. He's got $2,000. How should he spend it? Brad from Dallas. Right in. Needs it. <laughs> Needs to spend money. I Do you know how many Arduinos you could buy for $2,000? <laughs> That's like... A thousand Arduinos. Um, man, I don't know. Uh, so here's, I got a Christmas list going here. Uh, buy a VR rig. Why not? <laughs> and a PC to go with that VR rig. Why not? Tell your company you're experimenting on next level interfaces. Um, you could buy a bunch of Arduinos. Like I said, like devices that interconnect and internet thingy things. Uh, you could buy a sweet display like you're talking about. Uh, you could uh, buy an external GPU to like crank up your graphics. <clears throat> That'd be cool. Um, you could buy a pocket chip, which we talked about the other day. That's cool. I loved your blog post on that. And uh, we talked fun. about it on the show, too. Yeah. Um, gosh, what else could you buy? I'm pretty I'm close like- to your world because I have a... I have an optioned out MacBook Pro sitting in front of me here too. So if I had two thousand dollars to burn and I had to do, I might be like, can I spend it on like a conference or something? Because it's on. You said do better at my job, right? That's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah. But also, if it had to be physical equipment, I'd probably like. I you know I'd buy equipment and stuff too. I'm looking at that you know that LG 5K monitor because that's I, I have a I have one of those ultra wides that I think is okay but the 5k looks way nicer and more aligned more you, more you. it is more me because it's like it's it's not hdmi that runs through a dongle it'll just go right into my macbook and that appeals to me and right. it's thunderbolt right. and it becomes a thunderbolt hub which is nice and it charges the macbook so it's one less thing i have to plug in oh, that's maybe good yeah there's just lots of stuff that make it make it seem good so I'd, I'd blast out one of those and it sounds like you have the new macbook pro too so maybe that does appeal to you, and that's a thousand of it right there. Uh, I'd probably buy a sweet microphone if I literally had like a, a large budget on a mic. I've been using this road the road podcaster that I'm speaking into right now. I bought like seven years ago. It's probably about yeah. time to to up my game, especially because as much as we joke about being awful podcasters, which you know we are, but still to <laughs> to up my game, or I'd buy like a <laughs> sound booth too, or something. Yeah, well, we do it a lot. Yeah, I would, I would. Oh man, if somebody was like, "Here's free money," I would, I would soundproof my office. Like that sounds silly, but I would get there's this these tiles that are very expensive. <laughs> that um, I think uh, uh, Electric Pulp did the website for this uh, this audio proofing company. Really, and, oh, I want to see gosh, this. It, oh. Let me let me dig it up for you. But it's they did a great job on the website and like so it's like selling the uh, work. Um, but uh, and then it but it's like it's like four hundred dollars a panel or something dumb. But it's like this beautiful you know artistic felt thing. Um, uh, anyway, I'll you find, know it's such I'll a so oh, I've gone through this a couple of times now. Like so I you know I do Code Pen Radio too. And Alex moved into a new house not so long ago, and he was like in this empty room. Uh, and it was it was really echoey, right? Because he just moved in and he didn't have a lot of stuff, so he set up a desk and 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 we'd record the podcast, and there was so echoey, it was like unusably echoey. And then like just you know he kept staying in that room, but he kept like setting up more of his house and buying more stuff and stuff. And now there's art on the wall and a bookshelf and all this stuff. And now it's not that echoey anymore. So it's just like a, a, a room that's like full of stuff is like pretty good, you know. But if you don't have stuff. You know, 
putting these panels and putting stuff in there, or you know, you got to do something to make it not echo. The room I'm in right now, maybe you can hear the echo because I'm living it now too. I'm in like kind of a temporary house while I'm down here in Miami, and it was like it was so bad echoey. So I went on Amazon and I bought those like you know those striped foam things. It's like, I don't have a lot of art to put on the wall. So I bought these cheap things and I just pinned them to the wall over myself. I bought a whiteboard that I could put behind me and I covered that in those stripey foam stuff things as well. Just to get a better, well, but you're remote working, like you're on this, you know, I know you have, if to I actually have had money, but I'd get one of those boxes. It's like, it surrounds the microphone on like how many sides is the oh, cube? Yeah. Five sides instead of six, right? So there's no up, down, left, right, back. It's only you just talk right into it. That's what it seems like yeah. is the way to go. Yeah. But yeah, and that's probably a little. Probably like it's, 200 it's, bucks it's, in a weekend. Well, it's, yeah, it's $10 a Home Depot right. stuff, but it's like, but it's probably a $300 little device, you know? And so that's not, you know, uh, but it's, it's a, uh, I don't know. I think, uh, I think you could. You just gotta use your imagination. Figure out where you want to go. Um, this would be a good thing for people to like send in on Twitter. Like, oh, you need help spending two thousand dollars? Well, here you go. <laughs> so, please hit us up on at Shop Talk Show on Twitter for uh, how to spend two thousand dollars. I think that that's a good. Uh, send us your shopping lists and uh, yeah, that doesn't have a computer on it, you know. Or and yeah, it's tricky because it's just like fun bucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It. I think. Uh, I think you can do it. I think you just need to figure out where you want to go, what you want to do, what would help. Oh man, you could get like a sweet like four K camera. Uh, you could you know to do like video yeah, you get stuff headphones that you'd like, never buy otherwise. Yeah, you could get like a gigantic hard drive to store your 4K video. Or you could you buy could, a computer uh, and then sell it. <laughs> and then you have $2,000 <laughs> in cash. No, I don't yeah, know if that's a good just, idea. Don't break the rules. Don't break the rules, but, uh, you know, yeah, you could pay one mortgage <laughs> by doing Chris's scam. <laughs> Uh, that's good. Okay, I can't find that electric pulp. It's driving me nuts, but it's so good. Um, anyway, I'll try to find it. I'll I'll cruise and try to find it. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by CodePen Pro. All of the features that you get when you upgrade from a free account to a pro account on CodePen are listed at codepen.io slash pro. One of those is asset hosting, which is like, let's say you're working on a pen and you need like the full copy of your company's CSS, like minified and whatever, just because you want to like start with that and then like write some HTML around it or something and play around. You need somewhere to host that real quick. There's asset hosting as part of CodePen Pro. You just pop open the assets panel, a little thing literally pops up like a modal. You can drag and drop files onto it. It'll like figure out what it is. Oh, this is CSS. It'll sort it into the CSS column and then give you a URL that's a direct link to it. And then you can go into the settings of your pen and and say, use this as a CSS resource on this pen. Even more commonly images, you know, like I need an image in this pen. I'm just going to upload it real quick and then it'll, I'll have a URL, a hosted URL to it that I can link to. And what's kind of nice about that is there's lots of places you can link to an image, but they're all in CodePen. They're all a little, you know, you pop open the asset panel and search for it and find it and grab it right away and we can support it and help you with it and all that kind of thing. It is a pro feature on CodePen. Asset hosting is one of those things you get for being pro. One of many, 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 many things you get. Gets better every day. Okay, here we go. Uh, Ruzbe Sarafe uh, writes in, I've recently seen a higher than usual uptick in the people trying to solve CSS because of what I heard to be an inherent global scope problem with CSS itself. How do you guys feel about CSS being uh, in such a problem that it warrants the current proposed solutions being seen in the wild? Uh, Radium, CSS modules, style components, uh, and then here's a like a CSS in JS link. Uh, yeah, there's lots to talk oh, about. It looks this. like there's a hundred. There's a. This is a repo of 100 CSS and JS uh, alternatives. 
is beautiful. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it's a thing. In fact, we had a panel about it once where we talked about it. So you could go back in time and and listen to that. And that's what Jeremy Keith, Jed Schmidt. That's the one we were talking. That's one because React was the kind of maybe, perhaps, maybe, and I'm sure somebody can correct me out there, but I, it, the, it heated up when React started to get big because there was React like ways to do this. And there's people saying, like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I can't believe you can do this. This is going to solve all the world's problem kind of thing. And there was conference talks around it and stuff. And now we are. A year or two after that, and it's still being talked about. Clearly, there's still lots and lots of uh, ways to do this, but I, I think it has shaken out a little bit. Shaken out in the sense that do it if you do it, don't do it if you don't do it. You know, it doesn't have to be a. Everybody's situation is a little bit different. Like I've, I still haven't been compelled to do this. Like I name things, I write CSS, I'm productive in CSS. My websites are fine. I don't cry myself to sleep over, uh, over like naming conflicts or or global CSS interfering places. I don't want it to. It just it hasn't been a, a thing. And now there's lots of us writing CSS at CodePen. It still hasn't been a problem there. I. I redesign CSS tricks every other weekend, and that's not a problem. So it's like, yeah, I, I can't. I don't know. It just it hasn't compelled me. But it doesn't mean that I don't have understanding of why this is great for some people, for even bigger apps, or people that that just I don't know don't like they haven't wrapped their head around CSS in such a way or whatever. It can be feel really good to write some CSS, knowing that it's totally scoped to the thing that you're writing. I, I get it. That's great. You want to write stuff like that? Fine. I don't know that I would refactor an app just for that or or whatever, but kind of starting a new project or or something. I don't know. Like I, I get it. I yeah, get it. Use I, it if you want. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it's interesting. I think you. It's that classic like you solve a problem by creating another problem. Sort of like like I don't think browsers are super optimized to do like metric tons of inline CSS. So I think they they are better at like prac like creating a CSS object model not on the fly. Um, so I think that's something to to consider. Um, uh, you know I don't know. Uh, so the global scope thing I think we all know kind of how that works. It's you know if you define a anchor styles like a you know color blue you know and then later down the page you want to do a block link for your t-shirt product you have you know a or whatever div class or not even div class product you're using like a block link like a class you know product uh ref the product url and then you have like an image and a heading and a little description in there well all of a sudden that text is blue and you're like ah i don't want that to be blue so now you have to go in and write like okay a dot product. Okay, now do no coloring here and no underlining here and no, you know, but when you hover it, maybe you hover like one little thing inside of there. It becomes like a, just a, uh, whatever. I think, what is it? Jed call it a cascading show. <laughs> um, just because you have, like, yeah, but the other have- way around is like, okay. So I'm not going any of those global styles because I'm sick of fighting it and I'm sick of having things leak all over the place that I'm not expected. I'm going to code up a new component now. Oh, wait, I benefited nothing from cascading. Like It's just Times New Roman, just no styles whatsoever. I'm going to have to code all those up from scratch too. And I know that they address this, right? That there's some kind of like, well, then inherent module style or, you know, import module styles from module styles.js or whatever to, to give you. But now you've just inventing cascading again. And You've you created JSON style sheets, um, which okay, it's just the way it is. Well, so I think uh, I don't know what I'm so to get around the global scope issue, and specifically, uh, like what I'm excited about. I'm excited about web components, and I they they're weird and they don't super quite work all in all browsers yet and everything. But I'm excited about it because it uses the Shadow DOM, and by default, the Shadow DOM is scoped to that piece you know it's scoped to that level uh which means you're not you know you can like have really good components and scoped styles and there's even like a style scoped attribute to where like it only will style in that parent div um 
So I guess I don't know, Chris. I, I'm I think there's a lot of cool. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of stuff um, coming that will help this global scope issue. Um, and right now, you know, it, it does kind of make sense if you are having trouble with that and you want to not do that to do something like react um, inline styles. But I just I don't know. I've never felt like it had. To I've be never seen a, a this porridge is just right version of this, too, that that handles some of the. The, just leave leave the global stuff global, you know, the stuff that really makes sense to sprinkle itself around the app and you're not worried about it leaking everywhere, you want to leak it everywhere, and then move mm-hmm. some of the stuff that you don't want leaking everywhere to the component. Like, are, is, it, yeah. or is there, where's the baby bear porridge article? that I Right, well, and I wonder if it comes from a, a world where people don't understand what CSS is doing, and they're surprised that like rules are bleeding over and stuff like that, and so they're like, "Oh, this is not what I want." Sometimes I, I think there is some of down. that, but there, look but, at how many of these libraries there are. I mean, some smart people are working on these things. I wouldn't accuse the creator of every one of these libraries as being a not understanding CSS. Mm, I'm going to just blanket state. Mm, I felt pretty comfortable with my blanket state. So I'm going to never back down uh, from blanket statements. (laughs) So uh, on that bombshell, maybe we should wrap it up here uh, for the week. Uh, Thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcatcher. Be sure to start heart favorite it up. That's how people find out about the show. Uh, If you hate your job, head over to shoptalkshow.com slash jobs. Get a brand new one because people want to hire people like you. Uh, Head over to shoptalk. If you hate your shirt, head over to shoptalkshow.com slash shop, I believe it is, and uh, get a shirt. Uh, We may actually, I don't know if we've talked about this publicly, but we may be spinning down the shirt so so it might be kind of last chance yeah to get maybe it. it probably won't uh, be so. forever or we'll send you over to some service that Third doesn't require us thing, to but... put it in a thing and send it to you yeah but if you want a shirt uh that that's kind of hop on it hop on it and then uh so yeah so thank you uh dear listener so and uh chris you got anything else uh, you'd like to add thanks that's up nice talking to you everybody well yeah shopdogshow.com <laughs>